G'day, and welcome to another episode of the Adventures on the Road podcast, proudly brought to you by Avan to Hire. I'm Shane, your host. Now let's get on the road. Well, I've headed into New South Wales, into Canberra, to the capital of Australia, and we're chatting with Stephen Lindsay from Capital Country Holiday Park, who's got a really good thing he's just introduced into his park, and I wanted to talk to him about it. G'day, Stephen. How you going? Uh, good morning, Shane. I'm going really well today. It's a beautiful day in Canberra. So w- where are you actually sitting at the moment in the park? We, we are the only caravan park in the Canberra region. It's got its own lake. So I'm sitting out on our deck over the lake, uh, watching the ducks float by and uh, enjoying the sunshine. Sounds beautiful. Now, I noticed something exciting you've announced on Facebook, and I wanted to talk to you about it. You've got some powered sites that are for people with dogs. That's, uh, that's right, yes, yeah. specifically for people with dogs. I've always looked at, uh, I mean, most caravan parks these days welcome dog, people travelling with dogs, but the sad thing is that they're always tied up to the car or the caravan um, and they can't roam around. Um, so I came up with the idea of uh, building dog freedom sites. So the site is fenced in and the dog can roam around within the boundaries of the fence in and out of people's caravan. Yeah, I was looking at the photo on Facebook and I noticed that the whole site's fully enclosed. So, I mean, if the dog wants to have a bit of a explore underneath the van, he can't get away. He's got a fence all around him and he's got a nice little grassed area that he can do what dogs like doing best. People can walk past and he's not going to go racing out to try and... I think it's a fabulous idea. Look, um, it, it's certainly been well received. Um, certainly on Facebook, we had an incredible response in the last two weeks, over 800,000 views and 20,000 comments nearly. And the phone's been ringing hot with, with people just wanting to uh, book that particular site and we've taken calls for 12 months out so far. So is it just a site for dogs? I mean, is there any other way it possibly could be used? There's uh, nearly 20,000 comments. There was a lot of families commenting with young children, toddlers, that sort of thing, that They'd like to book the site too to, um, to look after their kids that they can roam around and know they're not going to run out on the roadway. Yeah, I, yeah, I hadn't thought of, of it being used for that, but yeah, that, that's yeah, that would make it great for them because I mean they can because I noticed in the photos a nice grassed area, so I mean they can throw the kids' toys out there on the grass or and their little trikes, and they can have an absolute ball and be nice and safe, can't they? Pretty much. So we're actually thinking of building, we've built two of the dog sites and, and we're planning to build another two after Christmas, but we're thinking of also constructing a family-friendly site. So it wouldn't be used by dogs. So there mightn't be little messages that got missed when the uh, the dog families left. It would uh, just be used purely for families with toddlers and young children. Sounds great. Now, you've got a great park there. Tell us about so, some of the uh, the great features you've got on your park. Space is the biggest thing we have here. We're on 40 acres. It's an unusual caravan park, holiday park, that we're really spread out. So we have really large powered sites and campsites and uh, lots of space around the cabins. And um, that's probably the biggest thing that really stands out when people come through the property. We have uh, drive-through sites that are 20 metres long, 4 metres wide, so we have about 30 of those. And now we have the the 20 big uh, grass sites. Well, not all of them have got grass yet. We're in something called uh, this drought that's happening. And uh, it's really impacted on Canberra as most of Queensland and New South Wales. And yes, it's, it's been pretty severe. Um, so our park's become a bit of a dust bowl. So we've been trying to build new gardens to um, just kind of uh, make the place a little bit more green. But um, I, I travelled out uh, far west 
New South Wales about a month ago at Tamungo National Park and and uh, very dry up there. You know, I'd encourage anyone listening to to get in their cars and, and take a trip through the country and, and visit all those country towns. They really need people coming through at the moment. Yeah, I mean that's that's an important thing to think about. Is that it's great to visit an area when it's lush and green, but it's it's also good to visit an area when it's not lush and green and it's perhaps suffering like we are at the moment um, in a drought. It gives you a different perspective and it makes the scenery different. And the best part is you're still supporting the towns and the businesses in that area. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I enjoy going out to deserts and I know you spend some time in Birdsville and the Simpson and... Uh, Unfortunately, some of the uh, far west is, is looking pretty barren like that at the moment. So, But there's there's still the history, um, the natural history, the indigenous history and the settler history to, to learn about in all those country areas, you know? Exactly. I mean, you know, just, just because it's a bit dusty doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and, and there's not stuff to look at and see. Now, in your park itself, you've, you've got some really good facilities. Now, obviously, you've got a swimming pool like a lot of parks do, but, but what else have you got? for entertaining guests. This week was the first week of the Victorian school holidays and we're, we're overrun with families and kids coming to Canberra at the moment. We have a mini golf, tennis court, uh, giant jumping pillow, swimming pool. Actually, there were kids in the pool last weekend. I couldn't believe it. A volleyball court. But the biggest thing I think that really attracts families is we have a giant fire pit. It's um, about one and a half metres square and we fill it up full of uh, good hardwood and light it up of an evening and that really attracts a big crowd. One and a half metres square. Yep. Now that's what I call a fire pit. It's one of those laser engraved caught and steel pits, you know, and uh, it's fenced off. But um, when, when it lights up, there's nobody around and, and when the fire starts going, before you know, you've got a crowd and everyone's standing around having a chat and meeting new friends, you know. It takes me back to the... <clears throat> the little fire pit we had out of Birdsville compared to yours. <laughs> but you're right. There's nothing like a, a fire at night to, to get everybody around. And it and it it almost starts and relaxes people into having a conversation and chatting with one another, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, that's why people love holiday parks, caravan parks, because they get to meet new friends, might only be for a night or a day or two, but and they, they get a chance to talk about what they've explored, what they've seen, and, and hear other stories, you know, and learn new things. Yeah, I noticed that you offer free Wi-Fi in the park. Yes, our deck area, just outside our, our main administration building, uh, it's got free Wi-Fi there, so you can sit undercover next to the lake and um, do all your uh, internet, Facebooking, emails, whatever it may be, seeing photos of the kids. All right. Now, like most parks, I'm sure you've got, you've got uh, good laundry amenity facilities, yeah, we've got two amenities blocks, Shane, because, as I said, it's a pretty spread out place. And um, two amenities blocks with laundries. We've got a, a camp kitchen, an older one. We're, we're looking at renovating that next year and building a new one. And we actually have two little conference centres as well. So we have a lot of school educational groups come through and groups in general, sporting groups and things. They make good use of uh, the breakout rooms or the uh, conference rooms. And um, they can hold activities or meetings in there at nighttime or during the daytime. We actually have um, a big hot rod club that comes in in January with about, I don't know, about 150 hot rods around the place for four days. So they sort of take over the property and, yeah, that becomes their administration building, the conference room. Well, sounds like uh, Capital Country has got to be put on your list when, when you're travelling anywhere near Canberra. What's the best way to get in contact with you guys? 
You can book online on our, our um, website, like everybody these days. We have front office people in there. Um, have, love to take your telephone call and talk about your specific needs and make sure we can uh, give you the best uh, accommodation possible for what you're looking for. We are 14 kilometres from the city centre off the federal highway, but you actually can't see our property from the highway, Shane. We're, we're set back half a kilometre away from the highway, so that's a really good thing. It's a little bit less noise but we're just a little bit harder to find from that point of view. That's why I say you look for Bidges Road in Sutton, not Canberra, and uh, that's where we are. Okay, and your website address? It's uh, capitalcountryholidaypark.com.au, and the same with the email address, just book into that. Capitalcountryholidaypark.com.au. Now, if someone that's if it. someone actually wants to chat to your great team there, what's the number they can call you on? Uh, the number is 02. New South Wales, 62303433. Uh, oh, that's a nice easy one to remember. It's easy for me. I've been, I've been learning it for a long time. <laughs> I'm glad you finally got it right too. <laughs> yes, it's taken me 19 years though. It might have taken you 19 years to learn the number, but it's good to see that you're still looking at developing the park and putting great features and benefits in there for, for our travellers. Yeah, we've got a few projects on the go for the next 12 months. Just uh, enhances little things like footpaths and seats and, and all those little things, you know, just uh, make life a bit more comfortable and, and give more meeting spaces and social interaction spaces for our guests. You want to be careful, Stephen. You might, I mean, by the sounds of it, I'm thinking if I get there and set up, I might want to leave. Oh, I think uh, when winter comes, Shane, it might encourage you to move on. <laughs> you reckon it gets a bit it cool? <laughs> it gets a bit cold. Yeah, it's, it's been a lovely winter this year. It's only been down to about minus one or two. Um, in previous years, it does get down to minus six. But no, we, we've had a, a mild winter, uh, plenty of frost. But uh, surprisingly, we had a lot of people through in um, June and July this year. So it was uncommon. Maybe they thought it was a warmer winter and thought they could travel. So were you, do your cabins get used more in winter or is it pretty much all the time? Canberra is one of those, um, it's an amazing city. It's got all the national institutions, you know, like the War Memorial and um, Old Parliament House, Parliament House, all the museums, art galleries, and they have exhibitions on every six, like all these institutions have exhibitions and they change regularly. So you can come to Canberra three or four times a year and there's always something different to see in the city, you know? But in saying that, winter is our busy period um, midweek because we do a lot of school groups um, midweek during winter months. A lot of kids come from in the state and they spend a day going to the snow, so that's the attraction for the school kids coming in wintertime. All righty. Well, thanks for your time this morning, Stephen. Do appreciate it. And I uh, I got a feeling that the pet-friendly and the family-friendly sites that you're coming up with are going to be a big hit. I can see them um, starting to take off all around Australian holiday parks very shortly, Shane. Yeah, I think, I think you've started a, a new trend. Well done, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Okay, then. Talk to you again soon. Bye for now. Cheerio. The Adventures on the Road podcast is proudly brought to you by Avan to Hire. Remember to visit our website, adventuresontheroad.com.au, for information about this and other episodes. Now, let's get back on the road. And I'm on the road today with a bit of a character for you all, and that's a guy by the name of Ranger Nick. G'day, Ranger Nick. Top of the day to you, Shane. How are you travelling today, buddy? Mate, going pretty good today. Got all the bits and pieces organised. I'm ready to get back on the road. All right. Just for the advantage of our listeners, just briefly tell us a little bit about you and, and your history. 
Well, basically, I'm a dumb country boy, I guess, is a good way to explain it. Uh, <laughs> um, wasn't real studious at school. Spent most of my time on the outside looking in. I'm the baby of ten. Uh, quite a large family and uh, a lot of love in the family. It's always been good. You sort of didn't get into too much strife. Just one sister would send you to the next. So once I got to school, of course, that all changed. So I ended up in strife all the time and took a disliking to school. And by the time I left school, of course, I was uh, deemed to be a labourer. So I uh, learned to work. The old man was pretty good at it. If you ever wanted to see him, you sort of had to go up the paddock and spend time with him there. So that's where I picked up a few skills with the camp oven, like where it all sort of stemmed from. Over the years, I I, uh, got married and had a few kids. And by the time I was... 20, I was 120-odd kilos and could hold a bull out the wee, uh, pretty strong and tough. By the time I um, got to 28, well, I was involved in an injury or an accident at work and I fractured two vertebrae, couldn't walk for 10 months and decided, well, I should probably go back to school. So I went and went and challenged my reading and writing skills and handed my first assignment in at 28. Um, I studied heritage interpretive tourism, applied environmental practices, multiculturalism, Torres Strait and Aboriginal studies and things like that to complement the industry and got into tourism and guiding. Um, That brought me to a position that I held for a few years at uh, 2IC in the environmental department at Skyrail International Tourism Management and that's where the ranger comes from. So through a chain of unfortunate events, I did get back on my feet and I struggled with, with back injuries for a number of years, but I ended up back in my small country town of Miles where I was born and bred. I won't say I grew up there because I still haven't grown up yet. But we, Oh, you're uh, not alone there. Yeah, no, you, apparently it's compulsory to grow old, but you haven't got to grow up. So, I, I uh, agree with that, you on that one. Yeah, no, I'm not in a big hurry. I like to have a bit of fun. I ended up back in the little town and doing odd jobs here and there and raised three little girls on my own for several years and and I ended up landing a job with Education Queensland in outdoor recreation at the Columbia EEC. So I was there for around 10 years and I used to spend a lot of time with the kids running activities and around the campfire at night making a few dampers, the odd stew and roast. And, and I received a phone call one day Basically, a, a bloke said, look, the kids have been there. I run these big events all over Australia or all throughout Queensland at least. I'm looking for someone to do some camp oven cooking demonstrations. So basically what I response to that was, mate, if you're stupid enough to let me in front of the general public, I'll have a crack at it. That was in 2010 and I've been on the road doing it ever since. So it's been a great lifestyle. It's certainly better than shoveling concrete. And... Um, I've worked, I've worked 76 hour a week for, or fortnight for quite a while while I was doing that and I got to a point where my tail was starting to drag and I had a bit of time up my sleeve in holiday pay and long service leave so I thought well blow it I'll, I'll take that time and see what I can do with the business and it's um, eventuated into what it is today so we've achieved quite a bit in that time. Alrighty so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give me a, a, a quick, delicious recipe that I could cook up at the end of a day in a camp oven to feed the worms. Oh, 
Oh, mate, not not hard at all. That one, there's so many recipes. Basically, whatever you can cook in your kitchen at home. But I'm a real stickler for me beef ribs. I, I love beef ribs. Uh, you won me on there. Oh, look, there's something about them. There's plenty of meat on them. And, and if you just let them cook, get that low and slow type cook, you get really good results. So... This is a recipe I come up with one day, and you'll find it on the on YouTube. It's called Old Men's Ribs, and it was a very windy day, so I couldn't get the sound right. So it, it's sort of put together as a, um, a Bust Keating-style silent movie, if you will. So I happened to be burning out stumps this day, and I thought, blow it, I got those ribs there. I'm going to chuck a camp oven on. So I cut up a few onions and, and mushrooms, threw in the bottom of the camp oven, I cut the ribs up into, into uh, you know, just cut each bone. So I had several bones there, and I dusted them with a little bit of uh, Keen's curry. One of my favourites is the dirty old Keen. Threw that in on top of the onion and mushroom and uh, poured a bit of honey over it and a handful of chilies on the top, and that sat in the coals there for about four or five hours on a moderate heat. So after that time, when I uh, whipped it out, I just give the bone a bit of a jiggle, all the meat slid off. It's made its own sauce while it's cooking. Uh, all natural, all good fresh produce, so there's no sugar and, and packets of stuff in it, uh, which is how I do like to cook, just with, with fresh produce. And, mate, look, some of the best ribs you'll ever try. If you, if you like beef ribs, give it, a, give, it a, give it a go, especially if you've got that bit of time while you're down fishing. You can just uh, let, it, let it simmer away there. Ranger Nick, you've made me feel very hungry listening to you describe that one. Well, mate, it's it's really easy. I really appreciate camp ovens, and I love camp oven cooking. Like The things I like most about it, it gives me a lot more time out of the kitchen, and I have a lot less cleaning to do. If you, if you learn to control that heat, and you can just set the camp oven and walk away from it, it always seems to get good results. And as I say, you can do the things that you've got outside to do, like fishing or hunting or whatever whatever you like to do. All right. Now, I know that you're out and about and you're doing all these demonstrations, and I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners who will be thinking, okay, I'm going to have to keep my eye out for this, this Ranger Nick and have a look at some of his demonstrations so I can polish how I use the camp oven. Where are you going to be in October this year? Mate, we've got a bit on. We're heading down to the Danny Ute muster, and I've also got another um, fundraiser to do at Canungla. So Canungla at the Gold Coast and all the way down to Daniliquin. I'm really looking forward to doing all that. Fundraising is one of the things. I I sort of don't do a lot of catering as such, but if I do, it's generally for a fundraiser. I seem to get a lot of enjoyment out of doing that and helping people out. You know, just give a bit back to the community. Okay. If, if you do have a look on the website, if you wiggle, 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 rangernick.com.au, you'll find there's an events calendar on there. And, and in that events calendar is any confirmed booking. So it gives you a fair idea of where I'm going to be and when. Okay, that sounds like an idea. So check out the website. So if you know you're going to be in the same area as Ranger Nick, you can pop along and pick up some good tips on, on cooking. Now, as well as having cookbooks on your website, you've got a course people can subscribe to. Is that right? Certainly. There's a couple of courses available there. One's Camp Oven Cooking in a Box, which is a home study package that you can purchase and just go th- go through at your own pace. It starts with um, choosing a camp oven, seasoning the oven, how to control the heat, how to get the perfect damper, right through to 
cleaning the oven and also restoring and repairing antique ovens, which is a pretty big industry at the moment. There's a lot, lot of people um, looking out for those old collectible-type ovens and... Um, Look, they're beautiful old ovens to cook in, and I think with all the the age and the use that they get, they seem to develop some great flavours. So you'll find them as pot plants. You'll find them as in the chook run. I've actually got one at home that I regularly use. It's an old Simpson that used to belong to the old man, and it spent 14 years in the chook run due to a broken lid. But I found a new lid, or I found a lid at the base of a tree one day, and it managed to fit it on there. So... Um, I cleaned all the chook poo out of it, and it's one of the best ovens I've got. Well, thanks for your time today, Ranger Nick. I think we better catch up again soon for a bit more of a chat, and you can tell us the odd funny story, because I'm sure you've got a few of those as well. Mate, I'll look forward to it and see you when the mud's dry. (laughs) Good on you, mate. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. All right. I'm about to uh, travel up north and across to the central area of Australia to the Northern Territory, and we're chatting with Glenn Watts from Barefoot Fishing Safaris. G'day, Glenn. How are you? G'day, Shane. I'm good. Mate, okay, so you're based in Darwin. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, that's right. So I've been, I guess, living in in town now for uh, around about 10 years, and and through that time I've I've, um, built up a business and I'm full-time, very busy every day, uh, taking uh, interstate tourists predominantly um, on guided fishing and, and sort of ecotourism charters. So um, we're spending a couple of hundred days a year on the water and, um, you know, experiencing all the adventure and the fishing and the bird life and other critters that we sort of come across up here on a regular basis. It's a, it's a pretty good little number. All righty. So you might know a bit about Darwin. What What can we see and do when we're in Darwin? Yeah, that's right. Darwin's a really unique place, you know. Um, it, uh, the whole population of the Northern Territory, over half of the, half of the population is in Darwin, a bit over 130,000 people in here now and 60 different nationalities. So it's a very, very multicultural place. Um, it's, you know, like the stereotypes of it being laid back and pretty relaxed are absolutely dead true. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing place to, to live for sure and raise children and, and also obviously a great place to holiday, which is how... So most of us end up here in the first place, isn't it? You know, we we come up for three months or something to do a bit of work, and and five years later you're still there. So it's a it's sort of place that really gets into your blood. I think a bit a little bit like the red dust up here too. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know what you mean. I, I went out to uh, do a, a a little bit of work out at Birdsville just for a few months, and I ended up spending nearly two years there. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. Some of these rural locations particularly, they give you a chance to sort of do things that you've never done before. And Darwin's a great place. You know, it is a bit of a land of opportunity for people that are keen to come up and try something different for for their work and career life. But but also, you know, you can spend a lifetime just doing all the recreation stuff we've got up here as well. There's barely a weekend goes by that there's not a sort of major event on in Darwin through the dry season, so from first uh, of May through to the first of December. And um, and then the wet season comes in and we get a little bit of peace and quiet away from from all the tourists, but there's still plenty to do as a local as well as you start getting into that festive season and carols by candlelight and all that other sort of stuff that the rain falls and that transforms the landscape. So year round it's a it's a very exciting and invigorating place to live. 
So, so the dynamics obviously change throughout the year. So you probably should consider going a couple of times and going at different times during the year. Yeah, look, I think so. I really recommend people to come up here during the, in well, they sort of terming it the green season these days. The profound change that happens to the landscape once we start getting our rain, you know, we'll expect about two and a half metres of rain to fall sort of between the 1st of December and, and the end of March. And obviously, you know, we're, we're getting falls of three or 400 mils overnight sometimes, and it's just an amazing thing to see that volume of water come through. And obviously that replenishes all the floodplain systems, which kicks off all that the cycle of life for the fishing and and then flowing through to the dry season, all the waterfalls and billabongs and all that sort of flow on sort of effect from a good rainy season. So, yeah, I think if, you, if, if you've if you tried it in the dry season, um, you, you would really enjoy it in the wet season. And you tend to be able to get some pretty cheap flights up and, and it's off-peak, so accommodation's cheaper and you don't have to pre-book all your restaurants and things like this. So it can be a great time to come up for, for a long weekend, you know, from sort of October onwards. Okay. What about somebody that perhaps is looking at actually spending a bit of time in Darwin and, and, and the surrounding area and might come up with their caravan or their camper trailer? Um, are they looked after fairly well in, in Darwin? Yeah, look, definitely. I mean, I, the, the major industry in town is the, is the tourism and, and to a large degree is that sort of travelling, no, the old grey nomad market. I actually just drove past the our local caravan park out here at Howard Springs uh, this morning and um, I've noticed they've started to clear out a bit and they, they tend to correlate with the start of the bowl season down south. They all want to get back for the first round and the, and the footy finals as well. So there's certainly plenty of caravan parks and they're, they're definitely very busy through the dry season. But certainly from about the first week of September onwards, you can easily get a, a spot at any one of them you know, ranging from right down the Daly River, right up through Darwin and then across the eastern, you know, into Arnhem Land and things like this. You, you can certainly spend, there's plenty of clients that I've got that spend six months a year up here, you know, so um, they're very well catered for. There's lots of dump points, um, you know, there's great big road, roadside stops where you've got no trouble pulling big caravans and rigs around and, and um, you know, people up here are very happy to help out if you have trouble on the side of the road or, um, any of that sort of thing that can can happen from time to time. We'll hear more with Glenn from Barefoot Fishing Safaris in upcoming episodes. Now it's time to announce the winner of our first competition, thanks to our friends at Thermal Cookware. And I have on the line with me from Thermal Cookware, Alan Rush. G'day, Alan. How you going today? Oh, not too bad, mate. How's yourself? Yeah, pretty good. Now, we've got to uh, select a winner for um, the shuttle chef that you're kindly giving away on Adventures on the Road podcast, and you've decided on one. Tell us which one you think. I certainly have. After looking at all of them there, and they all sound rather delicious and rather interesting, um, but the one in particular from Michelle Duca, uh, she had a spicy Moroccan stew with herb and cheese dumplings, and cooked on a freight loco between Brisbane and Rockhampton. Now, that that really tickled my fancy. Yep, well, it certainly hits all the marks, and it's definitely an unusual uh, location. So congratulations to Michelle. We'll be in contact with you, Michelle, uh, to uh, let you know that you definitely have won the prize and organise to get it out to you. Alan, I'd like on behalf of Adventures on the Road podcast to say thanks to you and Thermal Cookware for providing the prize for our first competition. 
Not a problem. Uh, glad to be involved, and it's a good new concept for people to um, have a chance to keep up with the news and see what's happening all over Australia. Good on, Yellen. I'll let you go because no doubt you're busy packing to head off to a show somewhere. We are. We're on our way to Leisure Fest, so we're packing madly at the moment now, getting ready for it. All right, then. Safe journey, Alan. Talk to you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks, mate. Bye. Well, that's all for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. Thanks to Avan to Hire for their ongoing support. To find out more on them or any of our other segments, visit our website and Facebook page. Until next time, I'm Shane. Have a safe journey.